Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at your question. And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome back to Handmade, the making podcast with real talk about materials. I'm your host, Anna Podajski, and this episode I talked to artist and researcher Jennifer Crouch about her work involving fibres. I feel like Jennifer is probably the perfect person to come on this podcast because her current expertise is sitting directly in the middle of craft and science. Because in her work at the moment, she's visualising physical sort of scientific phenomena through craft using handmaking techniques like weaving. So I first clocked Jennifer on Twitter. We've got quite a few mutual friends um, sort of through the science communication circuit, but also at UCL. And we eventually met up to have this podcast conversation. And I had a very awkward moment where I fangirled Jennifer and her work. So (laughs) for my own benefit, I'm starting the tape after that when I kicked things off by asking Jennifer how she came to work at the interface of physics and crafting. Um, So my artistic background is a bit odd. Um, I started off doing physics at university, which which was really nice. Physics is really interesting and uh, there's all these really nice... Uh, I guess like the like secret behaviour of materials or of matter is really, really nice to learn about. Uh, but I was actually really bad at it. <laughs> really, really, really bad at it. And uh, bad at maths. And I just was really interested in it. So I decided that it wasn't the thing for me. Um, but I had done a geology unit, which I found really interesting and uh, had done quite a lot of uh, writing about or reading and studying about sand dunes, which was good. And about fossils, it's a weird combination, but it was in the University of Aberdeen and the University of Aberdeen really like oils. So they're just like, hey, let's get everyone to do geophysics or geology, <laughs> uh, even though they're doing different subjects. So that there was somebody on the ge- on the geology unit who was doing this, a degree in Spanish. So, huh. yeah, it's a bit, um, yeah, it's a bit of a weird mix. Um, but my drawings of fossils were good. So I figured out that I could draw. Um, and it was a four year degree, but I dropped out after my third year. I just was like, this is not the right place for me. And then did uh, started an illustration um, uh, undergraduate 
at Camberwell, which was really good. So I was always I was quite interested in the idea of a sign representing a process like how you'd get in an equation, but also about uh, non-verbal symbolic languages and how an image can represent a concept. So that was kind of the sort of expansion of all the things that I'd learned in doing a physics undergraduate and that kind of funneling me towards uh, illustration, uh, both in the representational drawing of a fossil way and also in the equation kind of way. Yeah, so after illustration, um, continuing from that, I got, got really interested in textures when I was doing illustration and I was doing all these really detailed drawings of rocks and of uh, bits of meat and of cheese and of yeah, so like, like not like drawing like here's an illustration of cheese but just being like wow this texture of goat's cheese is really fluffy close up and this kind of ambiguity that textures have when you're when you're really close up to them and that sent me down the path of medical illustration so that's what I did after that uh did like a foundation uh in medical illustration uh which was another really interesting change in terms of art practice because the more archetypal or simplified an image is the more that image is useful to a surgeon or a doctor because it's um, easier for them to interpret the differences the individual differences in anatomy and sort of understand each individual anatomy there's lots of variation between individuals uh, so if they're doing surgery they know no this is the main branching pattern and I can cut here um, so that was really interesting and uh, I was working in a dissecting room for three years um, and just trying to get on with my own practice and getting kind of confused and experimenting with uh, textile printing and with um, a Devore, which is kind of like it dissolves uh, some of it's like something you can do with like velvet, which has got cellulose and then like an like a, the warp is made of cellulose and then the or a cellulose based fiber. And then the weft is made of something synthetic and then the Devore material dissolves either the warp or the weft. I can't actually remember, yeah. but you can make interesting windows in the velvet. Um, yeah, and then got interested, got, like, just did, did teaching after that, did teacher training because it was just completely impossible to make any money doing any of those things. Um, and approached a lab called CABI, which is center, the Centre for Advanced Biomedical Imaging at UCL, um, about developing a project there, but I didn't really have any ideas about what I wanted to do, so I didn't get any funding for that, which is like, you know, fine. Um, so I was doing like working with them alongside teaching, and uh, figured out that I didn't actually want to work with images because the do creating of an image in biomedical imaging research is like the doing of the science. So it seemed like I had to not do anything representational, but look at a process. Um, and then that eventually that was in two thousand and fourteen when I started doing that and then that eventually turned into my PhD which I guess can be summarised as visualising physical phenomena through craft. So the material that we are going to be talking about today is loosely, we've loosely called it fibres. Yes. I guess let's define first like what do we mean by fibres? Okay, uh, fibres are, I guess most people will think about uh, carbohydrates or the fibres that you get in food and um, you can get fibres in all kinds of materials that might grow out of the earth like uh, you'll have trees and plants that will have cellulose in them that we can take, uh, we can sort of like, so you can imagine like the cotton bowl which is like got lots of cellulose in it and you will take a fibre from that and then twist that into yarn. 
um, and uh, and weave with it. I haven't actually mentioned weaving, but weaving is a, a thing that I'm doing. But we'll talk about that later, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe. Also, fiber fibers are kind of like a they're like an overarching structure in the work that I do. So, in the weaving work that I do, obviously the yarns are made out of fiber. Um, and what I'll do is I tend I tend to use yarns that have been given to me by people. There's a lot of people who don't weave anymore who used to weave a lot, and all of the weaving materials that I have and all of the weaving equipment that I have is all stuff that I've found online and that belongs to other people, and it's quite or used to belong to other people who've given it to me. Uh, yeah, it's quite you can't just bring. I mean, sometimes people bring big balls of wool to charity shops, but you can't bring all of your yarn to charity shops because people just aren't gonna take it in or aren't going to be able to shift it uh but there's a lot of really interesting places where i can find that uh fibers are also in these other things that i make as part of the work that i'm doing um which are these objects called phantoms which we can elaborate Mm. on later but the phantoms will contain things like um bits of wood bits of plant matter again which have fibers in there often made often that are made from uh um, cellulose but also will have uh, more protein based fibrous materials such as um, I don't, yeah well wool there you go wool's a good one mm. wool I also weave with from time to time but it's really difficult to weave with because it's fluffy and it gets stuck to everything mm. and it's horrible I don't <laughs> like it I mean not some people love it but no it's not for me uh, cork I'll put all these kind of different materials inside these objects called phantoms so you've bought some work here to show me can you describe kind of what the work is that you're doing at the moment and what these objects are? Yeah, okay. So essentially a lot of it is connected to what happens to materials when they're in an MRI scanner. And then a lot of it to do is a lot of it is also to do with um how different materials can kind of simulate biological anatomical materials inside um, a kind of, I guess, a mammalian body, except not exclusively mammalian. So what these look nothing like bodies. There is one thing that looks a little bit like a hand, actually does it like a hand. Actually, it is a cast of a hand filled with nonsense. Um, but what they mainly look like are these kind of geometric polygons. Um, the one that I have in my hand here is made of resin, uh, a clear resin, clear polyester resin, which is a horrible material to work with um, artistically. Um, and yeah, there's lots of, I have lots of problems with it, so I don't know if I'll be working with it again. Um, so it's like a clear, not completely transparent, but like a frosty clear kind of uh, weird looking transparent-ish geometric polygon and it has little bits of like sort of white detrit- white powdery detritus on the outside <laughs> you can just about see inside it that it's got these weird little bubbles that contain some kind of liquid um some of them have got things that look a little bit like a sponge or like fibers uh some of them have got um this gloopy pink stuff i'm gonna reach over and pick it up gloopy pink stuff uh sort of on top of it that um some people really like the look of they want to eat them and some people think look disgusting (laughs) which is interesting um some of them have tubes and bubbles protruding out of them uh those are the geometric shaped ones uh half of which are made of this horrible resin material and half of which are made out of um uh, different types of wax so just whatever wax I could get hold of but ideally I wanted to use wax that didn't have a pigment to it because different pigments used in to make coloured wax 
have got metals in them and they come up funny on an MRI scanner. Um, and they are very similar, although they look kind of more tidy and geometric than the other ones because they're opaque. So they're just these like opaque uh, polygon shaped things. I've been told it's an Archimedean solid because it has different shapes. It's oh. got triangles and squares, but I just feel oh, yeah. like an idiot when I say it's an Archimedean solid. So I don't really wanna... <laughs> anyway, whatever. Uh, some of them are cylindrical. Uh, I've got this one here, which is really interesting because um, I ran a workshop for people to make phantoms and one of the people in the workshop made this one. So um, they cast their hand and then they gave it back to me and said, here you go, take it back, put it in an MRI scanner and send me the data. And cool. I was like, yes, great. And I will do some scanning in September uh, so that we can see what the internal structure is like. Uh, but it's like, a, it's, a, it's a left hand uh, sort of looking like it's sort of pinching something uh it only goes up just before the wrist uh and then there's loads of there's like a big red plastic tube coming through it and fluffy bits of uh lichen um and plant matter poking out from it and a tube poking out from it Um, and some glassware is that this is plastic plastic. this is one of those things used by people that do diy beer making or brewing it's called a bubbler stopper and it allows the cum dioxide to escape and no bacteria to get into your beer Uh, a sponge sponges are really really prominent in the things that i've been making so sponge is made of cellulose too um and sponge uh just the kind of sponge that you'll buy in an art shop but again it's a, it's a natural sponge it's a living was once lived well i guess it's still living you can still bring them back to life so i feel morally compromised using oh i didn't know that it. That's cool. yeah yeah you can can't you put them in a blender and what? then blitz them up with water and then take the blitzed up sponge liquid mix out and see the actual sponge reforming no way that's I've cool i've never done this before but i've been told that it works by several people nice so maybe 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 anna from the future can do an experiment <laughs> yeah hello this is anna from the future just wanted to pop in here and say that i've done some reading online and it appears that jennifer is absolutely correct sponges when broken down into even their individual cells can reassemble themselves back into sponge material. Turns out that sponges are the only animals or plants that are able to do this. Awesome. Okay, so what do these objects represent? Um, okay, uh, so can I... I'm just going to quickly talk about the MRI, like yeah. what happens in the MRI scanner, because I think it will help to explain what they are. Mm-hmm. So, uh, first of all, a phantom is an object that's used in MRI research, but also another biomedical imaging research, um, and is used to kind of test and calibrate a machine, uh, an MRI scanner or a CT scanner or whatever. And in from what I understand it, and I'm not an expert, so if I'm wrong, and loads of people complain, I'm very sorry. Um, but what seems to what happens is that you kind of have to tune into different materials in the MRI scanner. Um, so everything is made of atoms. Inside atoms, you have protons. Um, inside the protons... Oh, no, not inside the protons. The proton, Well, they have things inside them, but I'm not talking about those. The protons are always spinning around in different directions all the time. So that's in living and in non-living matter. Anything that contains, um, you know, 
atoms, essentially. Um, and in a really, really strong magnet, you can kind of line them up so that they're like um, all spinning in different directions and then all lining up almost like they're in a synchronised dance or like they're synchronised swimmers. Um, and then you have to add some energy to those protons. So what they use in an MRI scanner is radio frequency pulses. And a radio frequency pulse has less energy than sunlight. Um, but it's enough energy to uh, get these lined up protons to, to move out of their alignment slightly and they'll move out of their alignment to slightly different degrees depending on what material they're in. So depending on if they're in blood or in so water in the blood or in, um, in fat or in bone or in brain stuff or other organs, whatever they're in, they'll move out to different, to different degrees. And then you refocus the magnet to reline them up and then they have to kind of vomit out that extra energy that they've taken in. <laughs> and then you record that you essentially, you pick up on that that energy that they've vomited out using these um, radio detection coils. Uh, it's almost like a radio receiver and it's sli a slightly different frequency from each different type of atom, which is really interesting because it's almost like you can kind of almost communicate with these things that are completely another, uh, completely and utterly like untouchable like you can't actually touch like an individual yeah like proton you just it's just not possible um so it's although you can stroke water and water's got hydrogen on it mm -hmm. and so maybe that's touching them i don't know um anyway uh so that waveform essentially all those waveforms they're really messy they're all over the place and you use a special kind of maths uh, called a Fourier transform, which is really horrible to do, but you can get a computer to do it for you. And then, yeah, and out pops a picture, uh, magically of the cross section of somebody's abdomen or their head or something. And it was it was that process that I kind of fell in love with. Um, so on that basis of it being important that the that the hydrogen atoms are available, I chose a lot of different materials uh, that were organic essentially, or that were you know, plastics with or um, proteins that have a high proton density or hydrogen density. So so inside some of these phantoms, what I've got is these bubbler stoppers, which are used by brewers. And I've melted things like shea butter and cocoa butter and butter and olive oil and acetone and alcohol and put all these different liquids inside them and sealed them with a hot glue gun so that I'd get lots of different readings because those things all have hydrogen in them. And anything that essentially, well, I guess, yeah, anything will be, will be it's kind of hard to tune into all materials, but it is possible to tune into any material if it's submerged in water, from what I understand, mm, okay. except you wouldn't put iron in an MRI scanner because it would break your machine. Magnetic, right? Yeah, or like ferromagnetic. I don't know, it's got a property in it, the magnets, that goes makes it go crazy. Okay. Yes, but you can put aluminium in an MRI scanner and chrome, and it will just levitate, and you can like what? move it around using the MRI scanner, <laughs> That's which cool. is very fun. <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember what I was talking about. Awesome. Well, we were talking about um, the materials that we were using and the fact that you specifically chose them because they would be suitable for using in an MRI scanner for yeah. the reason that you just explained. Yes. And um, and so, you know, the point of this art project was kind of to, yeah, it was to visualise physical phenomena through craft. So this was just, this was my way of of doing that, which is probably a really indirect way of doing it, but it was for me, a way of kind of creating an analogue to a body that 
wasn't anything like a body. It's not a model. You couldn't use this in a scientific experiment or anything. Um, and also, they end up having they end up having their own aesthetics, and because of all the different liquids in them, some of them are quite unstable, and some of them are starting to dissolve. So they're kind of almost like mm. these like melting, living kind of things. Um, I guess the other material that I'll need to talk about is 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 the yarn, which is you know made of fibre. So what I've been working with is silk and with um, cotton. And these are from reels of materials that were given me, given to me by different people. Um, silk is amazing to weave with because it's really smooth. Um, but essentially, the way that the loom that I have works, the way it works, is that it either does or doesn't lift a shaft. It's called a dobby loom, and it's a floor loom, and it's in my living room, and it's, it takes up a lot of space. And it's slightly annoying, um, but it's also amazing. Um, and what I wanted to do using the loom was to try and figure out how the Fourier transform was turning a, like a point at a waveform into a picture. So what was actually happening through that process? Because, um, it, yeah, it seemed almost like it was magic um, that it worked at all. And I, yeah, I got really interested in, in that, really. Yeah, so weaving, weaving it. So taking weaving the what happens to like a data point in a scan as well as having finished scans of the of the phantom phantoms themselves um seem to be an interesting way of trying to sort of interact with the different things that are going on in inside this this really weird environment ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Is this something that you use on your loom, this object in front of you here? Yes. So this object here is, these are lags. And a lag, so the lags are connected by chains. And they have got uh, 16 holes along them. So it's like a, a kind of... They kind of look like Toblerones. Do you they do, yeah. Mean? A little wooden Toblerone, but... Yeah, really long. If it was just like a solid... 
Like without the individual pieces. Yes, without the individual pieces. But they have that kind of, uh, I guess, kind of, yeah, they look kind of like Toblerones. But they're, um, or Kit Kats, actually. Or Kit Kats, yes, they're much more like Kit Kats. Much more of a Kit Kat. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> they're actually closer to their dimension. It's like two Kit Kats stuck to each other. Yeah. So you've got a really long Kit Kat. A long, thin Kit Kat. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, it's got 16 little holes along the top. little holes in them and you put these tiny little wooden dowels inside the little holes and you mm-hmm. hammer them in place um, and wherever there is a dowel, a shaft will not lift up and whether that... Hang on, I've got to get this right. Uh, wherever there is a shaft, where there is a dowel, uh it will not lift. And whether there is no dowel, it will lift. So it means you either do have warp visible or not warp visible. So you can sort of pictorially represent digital information. Essentially, it's just like memory storage or like Fortran, uh, which is a crap way that people used to do coding. <laughs> I'm probably going to get... <laughs> yeah. well, it wasn't crap. It probably just looked like it took forever and was really wasteful, but never mind. And anyway, I think that's kind of based on, like, you know how... It wasn't crap, sorry. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know how in, like, like, the first computers was based on, like, little punch cards of cardboard? Yes. And there was, like, um, patterns of holes, and that was a way that they sort of gave com- the computer information in, like, a mechanical way. This seems like very analogous to that. It is, and um, the you know the jacquard loom was the I think that in, like mechanically and conceptually was the sort of thing that Babbage used to design his machine. Oh right, cool. Um, or like inspired his machine. I don't know whether he like was like I'm going to copy this, but it was it was there. There's there's a nice continuum with the history of programming and computers and the history of 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 this type of weaving mm. um of uh, these sort of big machines um yeah people hated them when they first got got made though they really did they hated them a lot and weavers traditionally wore um clogs to protect their feet from things falling and when they first released jacquard looms they took off their clogs and they just threw them at the looms and <laughs> yeah and that's where the word sabotage comes from because a sabot in French is a clog no so way. it's sabotage yes <laughs> Which is so they really sabotaged nice. their looms because they, they hated them yeah they hated them and then that's they cool. just didn't really get a choice because everyone was just like we want to make lots of money we don't care about your lives we don't care about the things that you make classic yeah classic <laughs> classic move industrial revolution move so uh, yeah, so people got, you know, had a had hard time, and now these sort of uh, textile technologies are like, oh look at how old they are, and they're so exciting, and there's this like weird nostalgia, which is kind of mm. kind of really gross, but um, kind of interesting to see happen with this kind of resurgence of you know everybody wants to make their own bread and everyone wants to make their own things nowadays, and it's like a desperate kind of grabbing for authenticity in terms of modes of production mm. because everything's like mass produced and we had a little chat earlier and everything is destroying the planet <laughs> yeah. and destroying people yeah um so yeah anyway so back to the loom yes um how does the weaving relate to the mri scanning work so the way it relates to the mri scanning work um as in so from an ethical point of view um if, to do this work and it was you know it's an interest in, an interest in physics it's an interest in materials it's an interest in the materials that bodies are made of that kind of made this project kind of happen um but from an ethical point of view i can't just use people's 
data. I can't just go, oh, give me this this person's data or give me your science data that has got these cells in it or that has mice mice bodies in it. Okay. Like it just didn't seem appropriate. So it was kind of quite serendipitous that I came up with the Originally, it was just a weaving project, and it's kind of grown into this project that's about um, these phantoms as well and about how things can be um, kind of made of these different materials and be similar to us in some kind of way. Um, so, yeah, when I first learned... And also the fact that it's called a phantom, I think, is really interesting, and that's what the scientists call them. And often... So, so something that might be used to be a phantom that is just simulating the brain could be anything as complicated as like a sort of plastic brain with tubes in it or it could be just a perspex container full of water just depends so they so they really range in they really vary there's a really big range and a big variety in what they are and it's really like phantoms are really strange because they're made by people like siemens and philips and these like strange companies that make electronic devices but they're also making this like very very niche piece of equipment that gets sold to biomedical imaging people um and they're they're, they're sold for a lot of money so it's quite nice also to say well you could also make them Mm. out of out of these things and out of so some of them have pineapple slices in them and pineapple slices are great because they look a lot like muscle fiber in the mri scanner so i could maybe at some point show you some pictures of what they look like when they're in the mri scanner that would be cool yeah so 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 the scientists use them to kind of calibrate their machines or to practice the scans or what how do they use them i think like that so to, to sort of figure out like oh i want to look at water let's put this container of water in it and let's see if i can see it right and so it's like um you know i think the first ever mri scans were done with phantoms because they had to put something in there to test it on Mm. and they didn't want to put anything alive in there because they were just like i don't know we've just made this thing so who knows what (laughs) it's gonna do uh, so that's and I, I really wish I had done some more research to figure out why they call it a phantom, but um, I guess it's they're not there's not really anything there that is what you want to scan. Maybe mm. that's it. Um, but it's it's nice because it kind of adds this kind of weird ghosty kind of um, esoteric language into this sort of environment that normally sort of dis- despises that kind of world mm. so it's really great to kind of throw it around and yeah like anti-science yeah like scan <laughs> my sculptures look at my phantoms um yeah it's good it's good fun um that's awesome so what have you managed to like what sort of data have you managed to collect uh, so what I've managed to collect, so I'm working, it's important to say that I am working with somebody at the Francis Crick Institute to do these scans. Uh, his name is Bernard Xiao, and he's amazing at making invisible things visible through the scanner. So it isn't the case that we just put it in, first of all, and then we can all instantly see all of the internal structure. Um, he'll have to make the machine do certain things. Um, You're twiddling some knobs there. Is that yes. kind of how it works? <laughs> yes. So actually, Bernard let me let me tune the machine, which nice. is great. He actually let me do it. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but this is great. <laughs> and then he was talking about biting point, and I was like, great, but I can't drive. But I understand. <laughs> I think in principle, this is such a thrill to just be able to kind of go into this environment and kind of be a bit daft and silly, and everyone's really serious and sort of target focused, and you're like, hey, look at this. It looks like a cube or a hand put it in the scanner um and to kind of disrupt that kind of work without interfering serious sort of cancer curing science research and i'm using the scanner when no one else is using it just so that um 
people know that I'm not ruining <laughs> cures for cancer. Ruining science for everybody. Yeah, for everyone. I think you also asked me a question and I don't think I actually answered it. I um, know. Well, one of the things I'm interested in is like, um, have you seen anything surprising come out of these scans that you didn't expect? Yeah, well, I think it's just that the contrasts look diff- very different, and you can you can add coloured filters. Also, like I don't remember how I put these together, I and mean, mm. you can kind of see with the resin ones what it's like on the inside. Um, uh, you can't really see that with the wax ones, um, and I guess I guess what it is 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 f- for me any from my point of view, and I think to an extent from to Bernard's point of view, and without Bernard, I wouldn't be able to to do this. Um, and, you know, being able to kind of connect with these different protons in these different materials and being able to kind of touch this this scale of matter that is just so beyond anything that I'm familiar with, um, that's just really interesting. So, so I feel like the way that it actually looks in the MRI scan is is as unsurprising as it look as a scan of of like your own body might look so you know that you've got organs you know they have certain shapes and i know that i've got uh inside some of these phantoms i've got these bubbles that have these different materials in them uh one thing that we did do was put a chrome ball bearing in one of the little uh bubble compartments and see if we could move it through to like move it into different compartments almost like a little maze cool and i think that some like people at cabby are trying to think about whether that could be a, a form of surgery in the future so you could sort of i think it was yeah it's people at cabby like thinking about mark lithgow i think was had the idea of injecting it into a bloodstream and moving it yeah, it was mm. Magnus Gate. And putting it and moving it into different parts of the body. And I guess you could, you know, navigate it using the magnet into like a tumour and then internally destroy that tumour. And I guess in a way, while these are kind of silly, it's like, well, we could use this as like um, you know, like as like a gym for the for the ball bearings and the uh, magnet. Uh, the MRI magnet kind of interaction mm. and practice moving them through different materials and compartments and see if we can complete a maze or something and it helps it kind of helps them to figure things out that they can do with the machine as well um and so it's quite I, it's quite I mean it's not very easy to do and sometimes what's interesting is that because it will it can heat up so it can melt some of the um, the shea butter or the butter, mm. it can go through the oil. But then when it gets to the um, uh, the pineapple slices, it kind of gets stuck. But I really like the idea of going through the pineapple slices and finishing the maze. Nice. Um, yeah. Could you make the ball bearing into like a little pointy knife so you can like cut through stuff and get through? Yeah, I think actually there was, um, that was I think Mark originally suggested like using like a spinning, spinning blade thing. Like oh, yeah. Was, like almost like a... Uh, what were those like a fidget spinner but like a tiny fidget spinner mm, yeah with like points cool. not with like the round shape but with yeah a, yeah with, yeah, yeah I, don't know, I don't know what that's called um three pointed side spear yeah, <laughs> sure let's call it that yeah something pointy that would spin around yeah and something cut pointy that stuff. would spin around and cut through stuff absolutely that's cool yeah it's cool um so i mean that something that is i think more surprising in terms of things that have come up but yeah it's not it's not more surprising than seeing an mri scan of a body mm. um so yeah it's quite it is interesting because it, and there is a banality in all of this 
in that respect. So there is something like, oh, it looks like what we thought it looked like kind of thing. Yeah. But it's different contrasts and we can move a little ball around. Um, but we knew those things already. Mm. But also, I'm not doing science. I'm not making, I'm not, I, that's kind of not, that the experience of sort of interacting with people in this kind of environment as an artist. And it kind of maybe not being the type of art science work that is, just about representation but about exploring different environments and Mm. exploring uh sort of interactions uh between physical phenomena but also between people so like the you know the politics of labs is really really funny as well really interesting and i won't get too much into it but it's very interesting to just be sort of in this world and be like wow things that are really important to people that i would have never thought about and i don't know i think i think I think it's really kind of a bit scary sometimes when people are are so focused on targets and aren't really questioning as much as, as they should be. I don't know, I guess I really feel sad about the use of mice in biomedical imaging research. And I, I like feel sad like it's kind of a really... Again, that's a banal way of talking about the ethics of using animals mm. in science. But, you know, um, I guess that's why I want want, want these around... I wonder whether they could be. I mean, they'll never replace a biological entity, but mm. that's not what they're what they're for. But there are lots of problems in biomedical research that I guess I'm trying to surround myself with. And whilst I can't really identify them all yet, and I don't really know how to think about them all yet, that's all part of the process. Um, and the way that I discover that isn't by like asking lots of questions or isn't by um, being very interrogative but it's kind of by observing and also by using the kind of tools that scientists use and by having conversations with them about their work um yeah so so what's next uh so what's next is to finally get some of the data the pictures that i've got so when you have all the images that turn up on a screen you can um you can reverse Fourier transform them and see see what it looks like in terms of the waveform um, and I think this is something that's called k-space which is really weird it's a weird name um, but that's but what I need to do next is just actually get this onto these lags and these looms and I think I'll probably need to get some software written or write some kind of software to help with that, because I don't even I don't even know how to begin thinking about it. Mm. Like visually representing K space isn't a problem. Visually representing some anatomy isn't a problem um, necessarily, but representing a process on like a static strip so that the woven fabric actually becomes almost like a time based medium, so that you can see as you look across the fabric a process that is unraveling or changing in time. Um, that's going to be the next step. And uh, currently, the, the the warp that I've got on the loom is all one colour. And what I'm discovering is that actually I need to think really carefully about the the warp that I'm using. It just needs to be contrast. It could be it could be that some of the fibres that I'm using, not fibres, some of the yarns that I'm using are um are transparent some of them are made of uh, plastic some of them are made of silk or wool or whatever but there has to be a contrast in the warp um that's actually where all the action happens and I did originally when I first started weaving which was literally when I started doing this like I don't know like so I started properly weaving last year and then maybe about two years before that I started to begin learning it but 
um i didn't it was very hard to get guidance from people with this with, with niche looms and there's maybe there's two people that i call on to help me um but it's interesting because it's the thing that i originally thought that it was the warp the thing that changes the thing that is easy to change that would make the textile interesting and help to reveal the process more readily but what i'm figuring out is that actually the thing that stays the same is the really important part um and tension i didn't understand tension when i first started doing this i thought that it just had to be really tight all the time and then my warp threads kept snapping and i kept having to repair them and it took ages um and then actually what i read what i was told actually by a weaver who knows how to use my loom called juliet was that um the tension just has to be consistent mm. and it doesn't ha- it doesn't have to be really really tight and it's when the when a warp when the warp threads snap it's one of those things we always think about when when people used to have to get when people were paid by meter of yarn of fabric that they wove sorry not yarn of fabric that they wove um and the that would happen when they were doing that and that the, the that time and money and repair and that kind of like frustration and your hands feel gigantic when i'm on the loom like they're so big like even with the tiny little tools like i can actually use dissecting tools to do some of the weaving stuff because it's so tiny mm. um and it it's, it can be quite abject at times actually mm. fixing that fixing the um fixing the warp uh but yeah it's i'm sort of learning a lot of stuff at this point in time that's going to take it into the next phase so uh it's going to be mainly weaving from now on i think um i'd like to make some more phantoms but i think that would probably be me digressing <laughs> or getting distracted because it's really fun to make cool. yeah yeah um, have you got any images of these online though, or where can people find out more about your work? Yeah, so um, people can find uh, my work on my website, uh, jennifercrouch.com, also on Instagram, I think it's jennifer.crouch, and on Twitter as well. So I'll put things on there. Um, and I always just want to re put the same pictures on there, but then I just sort of think, oh, what's the point I'll just like put a picture of a plant on so yeah it's funny it's really it's interesting trying to find ways of putting your work in an online space I find it really like really complicated even mm. though it should be really just put it online I'm just like no why is it so complicated to think about because I'm trying to think about how they're organized and how mm. I don't know sort of curate a story of the images rather than just like random like one-off images yeah because it's it's you know this project is is such a mess in so many ways there's so many different elements to it and you know writing about it in a really or talking about it Mm. in a way that's really simple I really I really struggle with trying to explain this because there's all these different processes there's these different elements there's different parts of science that I'm using uh there's the weaving there's the scanning there's the um, phantom making, there's the exchanges in the lab. And I, I, I don't really know yet how to put all of that together, but I guess that's the whole point, really, of uh, having done a, having, like, doing a PhD about it, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, so, I don't know. But, yeah, have a look. Maybe they'll make you hungry, maybe they'll make you sick. <laughs> Find out. 
So that was the wonderful Jennifer Crouch. Thanks so much to her for coming on the podcast and for showing me all of her weird and wonderful phantoms. I love how Jennifer's journey took her from physics to art and back again to physics. One of the things I'm trying to do on this podcast is really sort of dismantle that sort of made up binary that we've created, the art-science divide, and show that at least through materials, art and science are actually not as dissimilar as we think. So make sure you follow Jed on social media. It would be wonderful if you are enjoying the podcast that you were to rate and review it. I'd love to hear from you on Twitter. We're at Real Talk. That's R-I-A-L Talk. Or you can get in touch and say hi at realtalkpodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to say a quick thank you to Dave Shepard for our marvellous cover art, to Alex Lathbridge for the music mix. And next time I'll be talking to artist and good friend of mine, Holly Graham, about sugar. So until then, thanks very much for listening and I'll see you next time on Handmade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.